You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello, welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 12th of January. You notice a little bounce in my voice? That's because Vince isn't here. It does that to me. It takes me to my happy place. But <laughs> he couldn't make it tonight, so I reached out and got, well, as I was informed, the smartest of the three on All Comics Considered. So we've got Hannah on the show. Thank you very much for subbing in and on very short notice as well. It's no problem at all. I don't know if I would categorize myself as the smartest of the all comics considered hosts. I think I'm just the one that's the most organized. So, you know, I'm kind of kind of making it up as I go along a little bit less than everyone else. Well, that was according to Marty. I'm not saying that's necessarily high praise because it came from him, but still (laughs) you take what you can get. So before we get into our just grab bag of everything we've been reading, I'm going to put you on the spot. So apparently you thought we were complete idiots, didn't know what we were talking about and full of crap in regards to Jessica Jones. I think that might be a little bit more harsh than the way that I put it. (laughs) Just a tiny little Did I read a little between the lines there? Was I a little defensive? (laughs) There might, there may have been a moment or two uh, when I was done listening to your podcast where I looked at my husband and I was like, you know, some people just don't get it. Oh, shots fired (laughs) indeed. All right. Well, you have got my attention. Where did we fail? Oh, I wish I wish that I would have known you were going to put me on the spot about that. that I would have taken like detailed notes. Much fun. Um, So I will say that the number one thing before I always like to say something positive when I say something negative, it balances it out Uh, because I don't think that I've seen this noted a lot of other places. And I really appreciated you bringing it up was that alcoholism and Jessica Jones is definitely used as a running gag and not treated with the seriousness that it deserves as a topic it's one of those ones that hits very close to home for me and so when the show started out showing her drinking as much as she did i expected it to have as serious of a conversation about her alcoholism as everything else that's handled in the show and it really did not no it became a running gag um the thing that actually convinced me that it was a running gag wasn't even so much the show, but the marketing around the show. There was a day, oh, not that long ago, a few weeks ago, where the Jessica Jones Twitter account took over the Netflix Twitter account. And it was actually really entertaining for a little bit. Like the person was pretending to be in character as Jessica Jones and making comments about other shows and things like that. And it was, I was like, okay, this, as social media strategies go, this is actually pretty clever. Um, but then like the fallback joke was always about her drinking. I didn't catch that, but it, it's something. It's frustrating, right? It is, it is. <laughs> it's something that I do take very seriously and I, it's again, there's a difference between kidding around about someone who drinks. I'm not going to say too much, but drinks a lot. Say, you know, I, hell, I'm always joking around about myself and the guys do with me as well, too, because I don't mind a glass of wine. But there's a difference when there is an actual problem with the person and then m- making such light of such a serious thing. And that narrative that didn't sit well with me. 
I absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, especially because it seemed very out of tone with the rest of the show. I mean, the show didn't necessarily shy away from dark humor. Obviously, when you have someone like Tennant playing the Purple Man, there's going to be an aspect of that. Uh, but I was not expecting something that should have been treated with some serious, like it should have been a serious conversation. It should have been as part of her recovery. And that I will say is where we did start to diverge as far as opinions go. Um, see, I'm trying to be polite about it. You, you guested me in, so I'm trying to be nice about it. Um, there were, I think, the two major points that made me kind of like stare at my podcasting program and just kind of shake my fist in the air was. <laughs> okay, you didn't. I was kidding initially. <laughs> you didn't tell me it was that bad. To be fair, I do this with every single piece of commentary that I listen to. I do this with my own podcast. I'm on two different podcasts and I'll re-listen to them. And there are parts where I'll just, I will actually ping people that I recorded with and be like, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe we recorded you saying that. <laughs> uh, and I don't excuse myself from this either. There are a couple of older episodes of Dorcadia, the general nerd podcast that I'm on, um, from when I didn't really know as much about podcasting and I tended to shoot off at the mouth a little bit more than I do now, where there are episodes where I'm like, I can't re-listen to that. I am so embarrassed. Oh, I don't listen to any of our old stuff. I It's it not, it's not as bad with, and it's funny because I was just talking with Marty about that, I think yesterday. It's not as bad with, with this one because by the time we started this one, we'd already been doing some other ones for a while. But the ones that I was doing, even without Vince and, and Joe before the the other ones, oh my God. I, I've gone back and listened a couple of times and it's painful. It's like, yeah, it's you learn a few things along the way. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I was doing Dorcadia for three years before we started All Comics Considered. And I definitely, I can't go back any more than like maybe a year in Dorcadia before I start like getting those embarrassed sweats. <laughs> okay, you, you're, you're talking around it so that you don't actually have to say it. Okay, so the first point was you reiterated how often the series makes Jessica out to be the victim. And it's true. It does make her out to be the victim. I think that's because the story that they were overall telling through the first series was the story of someone pushing past being a victim and recovery. I agree that she could have been less victimized throughout the series, but I think that that would have strayed away from the theme, which was recovery. So if you have someone go from being victimized in like three episodes and then become the stronger female character or, you know, throwing guys through walls or whatever, you've focused on recovery, but not as much as I think the show wanted to. The show wanted to tell a full story. This is why there was also only one major villain. They didn't do constantly the best plot in that the pacing could have been handled a little bit better um but i think it was really about that full overall wanting 13 episodes to focus on somebody's recovery and follow through as a as someone going from that feeling of being victimized to feeling empowered okay what else the one thing that did actually frustrate me, be, but specifically because I've heard this articulated in other places much worse, was any mention of the show trying to get you to feel bad for Kilgrave or the show trying to redeem Kilgrave, I think is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the show was trying to do. 
the show was trying, I thought, to demonstrate how people who are toxic, people who are abusers, will try to make themselves the victim in any way, shape, means form however they can they want you to feel sorry for them they will manipulate and per- and appear pathetic and threaten to do all kinds of things to themselves and it works unfortunately and i think the show is seriously playing around with that they try to make you feel sorry for him they try to run this kind of redemption gambit with jessica thinking that maybe i should just stay with him because when i'm with him he's a better person I've heard my own friends in abusive relationships say that, you know, when I'm with him, he's a better person. And I think that's what that aspect of the plot was trying to do, not make you legitimately feel bad for Kilgrave, not make you think that there's going, he hints actually redeemable. Um, Because immediately after that, he does some of the absolute worst things he does in the series. He kills his parents. I think that, and I don't want to, I don't want to say I don't want to discuss it, but I don't want to put you on the spot and and make you feel like I'm, I'm challenging what you're saying. That's not – I'm all right with getting the criticism and let's move on and have fun talking about other stuff. Um, but on that point, the only thing that I will say is perhaps uh, either myself or both myself and Vince, I can't remember if he brought it up as well, didn't articulate it well enough to say that I, do, I understand exactly what you're saying and I agree as well. But when I say it, I'm not saying that he's trying to make himself out to be the victim, but rather that the show is trying to present him as the victim, meaning that it's not just his words and his actions, but also the manner in which they're presented, the other people as well, and what they say and do. It's not just what he says, but how it's presented in the show on a multitude of layers. So that's where I was coming from. Does that make more sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I don't like, I'm not trying to say that you guys read the show wrong. Like this is definitely. Oh, everybody's going to see it wrong or not wrong, but differently. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Everybody else is wrong, but her (laughs) deal with it, Marty. But uh, no, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's when you're looking at such sensitive subject matters of which there are many in there, not just one subject people are going to come at it differently and also obviously based on experiences that they've had in their lives as well. So you can't expect that one person is going to be quote unquote wrong unless they're being complete jackasses, which is going to happen as well. But yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I will say that I think that's one reason the show for for the varied opinions of flaws or not flaws or what have you is very important, especially as comic book based media is that it is looking at topics that we don't have enough emphasis on media looking at, particularly we're using that comic book reference point through the, to be the lens that we look at this through and it does create a discussion and I'm always for things that create discussions even things that I really really don't like um Twilight of all things is a very good example of this I despise Twilight with every fiber of my being I appreciate that it exists because it spurred a lot of conversations around particularly teenage girls and sexuality I completely agree the only thing with me and and with Vince, obviously, was the underlying opinion as it, it pertains to Jessica Jones that 
while we need to have these things present a lot more so that they are discussed, we just wish it would have been handled better. And again, that's a personal preference opinion, obviously is not the the same one that many share because a great many people love that series. So more power to them. But it was very much something where I'm glad that the subject, these subjects are being brought up. I just wish it was done better. That's all. So you ready to talk about some comic books? Yes, I will. Like, can I say one last thing? You can say as much as you want. Um, I agree with you because I think that we can always be doing better. Very true. Very true. And as it pertains to any kind of difficult topics pertaining to women, especially, it's a barrier that needs to be smashed through. Mm -hmm. It's one of those where we've had enough of this glass ceiling crap. It's not a glass ceiling. It's a goddamn concrete wall. Enough of that. We need to see a lot more of these issues being presented. It's all, I just keep going back to, I just want it handled better. It, it, it deserves a lot more. And that's, that's the thing for me again, it deserves not just it's, it's, Oh, I wish it was no, it freaking deserves to be handled so much better when you're tackling such an insane topic as what is presented there and how it it correlates to real life and the crap that women have to put up with on a daily freaking basis. Hourly basis, let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Now are we good to go? Yes. Well, you're the guest. I'm going to give you the first in the grab bag. Oh, so I just went to my local comic book store yesterday and picked up everything that I'd had in there for about a week and a half. So I went through quite a few titles. I think, well, kind of piggybacking on what we were just talking about, I read the most recent issue of Bitch Planet, which is one of my favorite ongoing titles right now. And I was so happy that it's sort of kind of off of hiatus. This was another character-centric focus backstory issue, like issue number three was, um, this time being about Mako instead of being about Penny. And, oh, oh my gosh. I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. That is one of... How do you guys handle spoilers? Oh, go go for it. People know on this show that we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um... So we've talked about Penny's issue on All Comics a couple of times because to me it's one of those incredibly important issues that just it doesn't happen in comic books that often. Uh, It was one of those issues that like it's impossible for me to read it without crying. (laughs) Uh, My mom was out visiting. My mom's from the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast and she was out visiting for the first time in a very long time, not that long ago. And while she was out here, I took her to my local comic book store and I picked up volume one of bitch planet for her. And so we're a little bit later sitting in her hotel room and she's just like watching TV and I'm kind of going through the comics we looked and I ended up rereading the first trade of bitch planet. And as soon as I got through Penny's issue, I'm just sitting there with like tears streaming down my face. And my mom's like, my God, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is the cat okay? What's happening here? Bitch planet is, and I've said it before and I'll continue saying it's, an important comic for us to have right now. It's not just that it's good. It's not just that it's insanely well-written. It's actually important in our time because we can look at Spider-Man arcs, Wolverine arcs, you name it and say, well, that was a ton of fun to read. Or in some cases be even something that, wow, that was profound and it hit me on an emotional level. 
But then you have something like Bitch Planet, which is actually important. The message that it's trying to convey is something that needs to be heard, and especially at a time now where we're trying forcefully to push through again those boundaries, you get something like this that reflects so much of what is happening now, and it's it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. And again, it's one of the few things that is out right now that I can point to and say, this is important. You should be reading this. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's a really important title, and the lens that they use to look at feminism is really interesting because it's a challenging series. Like it's not an easy series to read at all. It's, it's difficult. It's emotional. It's hard to read as a woman because you really, really identify with the characters and you put yourself in their place. Um, But that lens of like schlock exploitation, women's prison drama is really great because it's able to take these big sweeping gestures. And I mean, this idea that there's a prison planet where they send women who don't conform to. (laughs) It's an amazing, amazing piece of metaphor for society put in a way that is so over the top that it really shines a light on issues for people who might not have thought of it that way before. Because sometimes when you see something magnified into an almost absurdist degree, the truth shines even brighter because there's more than nuggets of truth in there. Like lines that are in there, even given the absurdist context, are absolutely lines of things that you hear all the time, every day. The Um, layers in that comic it's insane how much more you can read into it. Not just you're reading into it what's not there. No, no, no. How much more you can uncover, I should say, instead. And it's not just individual lines, but the art as well. Mm-hmm. And how clever the the wording is in, in terms of like the letterers as well. Like there's there was one panel that was done where the back and forth between a whole bunch of word balloons made it appear as if one of the the characters was actually like somewhat being wrapped by all this, imprisoned by all of these things being said. Like that's some next level crap right there in terms <laughs> of portraying an idea so intently. And I absolutely adored it. Yeah. They just nail it in every single issue. And I don't mind that the issues tend to be spaced out the way they are because of how much thought is put into every issue. Like it is an incredibly conscientious series. Um, And that even goes for like the back issue material. The most recent um, issue has a fantastic series of material. One is about gender schemas. This is a comic book that has an essay printed by a, A woman of color professor, excuse me, by a woman of color engineering professor talking about gender schemas. This is what comic book would have done this? Like, this is so totally outside the realm of what we usually see in comics. And then followed up by a Japanese uh, pop culture artist who took 3D modeling of her labia. Like, wow. It's so diverse and different and important and you're right everybody should be reading it like it is such such a challenging and interesting and important book to read not just from the lens of 
comic books and feminism, but also what comic books can do with topics, how the medium can express information and what information it can express. What the the sad part is, is that what it should be is something that not open, not only opens up dialogue, but also prompts questions. And because there is obviously a large amount of the readers are going to be also young men as well. And it's unfortunate that I, this is an opinion. If I'm wrong, that's fine. But I would think that far too many of these young men would be unwilling to question when something is brought up that they might not necessarily, whether it's understand or relate to or whatever, just so that they can grasp it a little bit better. And which isn't to say that it's not being brought up clear enough, but rather that once again, there's so many goddamn layers that you're bound to miss some things. Hell, I'm grown ass man. And I'm quite certain I'm missing a lot of things just because there's some things I'm not going to relate to in the same way that a woman will when she reads it. But I, I, I would like it to be something that's discussed more than what I'm seeing. I do see some write ups about it and things like that. And I do know that some people talk about it as I've heard you guys talk about it on the show. It's just, I, I feel that it should be talked about even more than it is. That might have something to do with their scheduling, quite possibly. And I think that we've gotten spoiled by the weekly or bi-weekly comics that we get now for individual series that when something takes a month or two months, it's kind of almost forgotten. And I don't think that we can do that with this series. I, I think that we need to continue talking about it. My concern around why Bitch Planet isn't as widely discussed as it should be is that it's called Bitch Planet. It is a, I've described it to multiple people as a screaming feminist screed. It's important, but it's also something that doesn't back down. Uh, it's very in your face. It's very obvious as to what it's about. And that makes it very difficult for people who don't relate to it to talk about it because people feel it's to use another kind of social justice metaphor uh, analogy it's when people feel threatened by the angry black man the angry black man has every right to be angry any person of color has every right to be angry but we have such tone policing that the argument and the style that the argument is delivered becomes the conversation not the content that not is being message. delivered yep agreed Okay. Any parting thoughts on that one? Uh, only that I will say Kelly Sue DeConnick's final words in this most recent issue, I really liked because she said, Bitch Planet doesn't offer answers, which is true. It is a medium to present these issues, to make people understand them better, and to open up a dialogue, but it's not answers. So really that needs to be on the people having the dialogue to be able to circle back towards those answers. At the end of the day, she's telling a story. Mm -hmm. The story will certainly prompt questions and all that, but it's not the storytellers. It's not up to them to provide you with the answers that you're looking for. She's telling a story. Damn good one. Got nothing but respect for that woman. Uh, did you read a force when it came out? I did. I believe I heard you talking about it on 
all comics considered. I could be wrong, but I think I remember you guys talking about it. Yeah, we talked about the Battle World Mini. Uh, we did not talk a lot about issue one, but I did just read that. So Yeah, I just read it as well. Now, the other one, it was a series that I really wanted to enjoy, and I just didn't find I, the, the writing wasn't clicking with me. But a mm-hmm. lot of that had to do with my distaste of Secret Wars. So reading this, I'm not as heavily invested in the characters having read all of the version one. And so as I'm reading this, you can obviously pick up on what's going on. And again, it's a it's still an obvious Secret Wars tie in just because well, not tie in per se, but you see the effects of Secret Wars on it. So that in and of itself is I know you love it, but I have made it quite clear I don't. So I'm trying to let go of that and just enjoy this for what it is. As much as I enjoy the characters and I enjoyed some of the scenes, I certainly didn't think that there was enough in this. Like, I'll keep reading it, but I'm hoping it's not going to wind up doing the same thing as version one did, where it just did not hold my interest. And that was not based on the characters, but based on the story. You just wasn't, be it original or enough or engaging enough for me to really want to keep coming back to it. I think that's a fair enough criticism to be leveraged at uh, this, the actual tie-in mini. I'm not going to argue that the plot of the A-Force miniseries was freaking fantastic because it wasn't. What it was and what I absolutely adored it for was that it was a team-up book. It was absolutely a team-up all the heroes that you like get together and fight something. It felt to me like such a throwback to like mid to late nineties comics. Like it felt like this big panoramic shot of popular heroes getting together to beat stuff up. It didn't necessarily have the best characterization, but it did have really interesting characters that were well-written Their The dialogue in a force was spectacular. Um, The thing that was really different about it was that it was the all-female team. It was all of these characters getting to be on the front lines, not regulated back panels, not being obscured by giant muscular dudes, not, you know, three character lines behind Wolverine or Cable. And for me, as someone who grew up reading those team-up comics in the 90s, who grew up with Cable busting, you know, 18-pack abs on every cover, it was a wonderful recognition that we can have female characters doing the same thing and that they can have witty dialogue and that maybe the story doesn't have to be awesome. Sometimes the story can just be a vehicle to see people doing badass things and those people can be all of the cool female characters in Marvel, because that's who was on that book. Um, That being said, I do strongly believe that the actual A-Force series is going to be different. Looking at the first issue, it does feel like a slow burn and slow burn comics. While I like them do always worry me because I know that it is difficult to keep people's attention in comics and pacing in comics is difficult. You've got 32 or so pages to work with. And if you're on a monthly schedule, that's a hard time to keep people's interests if you're doing a slower roll-up story. So, yeah, see, this is one of those, once again, where I'm all for these stories that have 
a full roster of female characters or individual series, be it Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, all of those. I, I love that. Black Widow was one of my favorites from last year in terms of series. I just absolutely dug it. Like I, I like, I want more of those. But for me, it's the same thing as with, I, I don't care if it's an Avengers title with all dudes or, or X-Men or whatever. For me, I I don't have as much patience for just, let's just have a fun romp where everybody gets beat up. I want a good story. And I it, that to me matters a lot. So if I don't get that, I don't care if the roster is all dudes, a mix or all women. It's like, no, you're doing a good thing here where I like the characterizations. And I like the interpersonal relationships between them. That's kind of cool. And that's what we're seeing here as well. But the series is not doing nearly enough to keep me coming back because interpersonal relationships will only take you so far. It's that overarching story that matters to me personally. And I think that there is a place for the occasional everybody gets together and beats things up story. And I think that a tie-in for an event like Secret Wars is that place. I don't think that's what the ongoing A4 series is going to be. Uh, I would not have tolerance for that for an ongoing series because I'm like you. I want to see a good story. I want to see good characterization. I want to see good interpersonal relationships. Uh, I want all of these things to come together if I'm going to keep reading a title. So it's my concern is more along like how quickly are we going to get into that pot? Because right now we've just got set up. And right now we're also going through a Marvel universe that's all set up. Yes. And that's the other thing too, unfortunately, is that's just pissing me off to no end. (laughs) It kind of doesn't surprise me too much that annoys you. I understand. Yeah. All right. What else you got? I, are you guys reading any of the Star Wars books? Oh, and that was on my list to discuss. <laughs> Vader down. Insane. Vader down. <laughs> that just wrapped up. So you read everything? You're caught up? Yes. What did you think? So I've only been really reading the Vader title because uh, Gillen's my favorite writer. Right. Uh, my favorite current writer, at least. So this was really my first introduction into the main Star Wars book. And I think I'm going to have to actually start picking it up. I was really impressed. My criticisms of the event all are around the art, which had a lot of problems. Depends on which series, because it bounced between Star Wars, Darth Vader, and then the Vader down as well. So, yeah, some of them, especially these last ones, especially I found the art and some of them were not that good but then some of the other ones oh my god they were gorgeous absolutely wonderful so it it was kind of hit or miss which one you got yeah the art really isn't cohesive and that bothers me um particularly when it comes to facial expressions and facial facial artistry uh because and i've i mentioned this on acc before when we were talking about um hickman's fantastic four run Oh, my God, if you can't draw a face, there's nothing that's going to pull me out of a comic faster. Like if your faces don't look like people and obviously there is some. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say obviously there is definitely what looks to be some tracing going on as far as established characters looking like they're actors. And it does not always work well. No, I'd honestly, I'd rather have a more stylistic thing. Like I if agree. you just make it vaguely look like the character, like if I know that's supposed to be Han Solo, I don't really care if it looks exactly like Harrison Ford. I'd rather have good artwork. There were, there, 
There were some panels where I swear, just like you were saying, it was traced from a still from one of the films, the Mm -hmm. scenes, especially with Han. Like, it's like you were trying to be way too Harrison Ford in that shot. My problems were all with, well, not all with, I thought the worst ones in the last two issues specifically were Princess Leia. Like there, cause there were so many important panels that focused on her face and her expression. And I, A, hated the art for a lot of those panels and B, couldn't tell what expression was supposed to be going on because her eyes looked dead in everyone. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't feel that emotion because the art didn't portray it for me. Yeah. One of the better ones that I felt while the, again, while the art in some of the issues of be it Star Wars or Vader, some of them were justifiably spectacular. I found actually that it was Lando that was really, really good. The series, the, the miniseries for Lando, because it was far more stylish and it took liberties, but you knew who you were looking at. You knew it was Lando, but it wasn't trying to look as if it was stills from the movie. And I thought it was fantastic for that. So. You know, every single person that I have talked to about Lando has said really, really excellent things oh about it. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It made me want to watch back the originals again just to see the scenes with him, just to appreciate it more because you get you get so much insight into the character and here's again when we're talking about how the story is just as important as interpersonal relationships. The interpersonal stuff in Lando is spectacular, but then the overarching story was just fantastic. Like as a miniseries, it was amazing. Definitely worth reading. Going back though to, to Vader down, the art notwithstanding, what did you think of the event as a whole? So I liked it on the whole. I really did. There were some really excellent sequences. There were some really interesting interactions. Uh, the idea of Vader just standing down like a thousand Republic troops or a, a thousand rebel troops. Just I love that. I love the big epic standoff with this single monolithic terror of a character who if you've also been reading the Vader series, like you get into his head kind of a little, yeah. like that's one of the things I like much as much as I do about the Vader series is that you never get entirely into Vader's head, but you see just enough to like feel for the character or to hate what he's doing or a little bit of both. I had some problems with the pacing of the plot because I kind of felt like you could have been playing them. Um, the Benny Hill theme the whole time. Because everybody's just running around. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Towards, uh, throughout the entire thing or the ending, you mean? Uh, towards the end more. I think towards the middle, from the middle towards the end is where it started getting very hectic when we're like characters are like kind of running from place to place. Like we're trying to get everybody together, which feels Star Wars-y. I'm not going to lie. That definitely feels Star Wars-y. But at the same time, it was getting a little bit difficult for me to figure out who was supposed to be where, particularly in the last issue. I, I completely agree. We've been really, really enjoying this a lot. And we've been reading all of the Star Wars stuff. Like our last episode, we talked about Kanan, which if you haven't been reading that one, if you are a fan of the Star Wars Rebels animated series, can't recommend it enough. But this year, as much as I've been liking it and as much as I've been enjoying the pacing overall, 
how it has been just kind of ramping up as you would expect and ramping and ramping so that you get to that feverish ending. I really didn't think that it stuck the end, the ending and the ending because it's crossing over multiple issues was actually not just like a few pages kind of thing. It was actually even probably, I'd say probably an issue and a half going from partway through the last star Wars and then the Vader as well. And I felt that it really didn't stick the landing because very much like you, it was Far too much attention was spent of, okay, you go here, go get them. You go here, go get them. Okay, Mm -hmm. no, come back over here. No, you do this. Okay, everybody attack here. Okay, no, everybody's not attacking here. And it was just way too much, I'm going to have to bleep it, but of a cluster (laughs) at the end. And I was fairly actually disappointed in the ending. It might have been all right if the series as a whole had not been so spectacular because, I mean, you're getting that ending also where like the showdown between Vader's forces and Luke and and Leia's forces, kind of the Afra and and Han Solo bits and and the different robots going up against each other. There were so many points where you were looking forward to it and it was like, oh, that was awesome. But then intermixed with that was stuff that I felt A, didn't even belong there. Wookiee fights, that just was like, did not, in and of itself, awesome, really cool. But as part of the story, if this had been film, that would have been on the cutting room floor with a decent editor. And so it just confused things. And then again, because of everybody running around like their heads cut off, chickens with their heads cut off at the end, it just, and also let's be honest, you expect a certain amount of cliché in a Star Wars story, definitely. But there were far too many of those moments with especially him and Leia where you're like, oh, come on. You could have done a lot better with this. Yeah. So the Wookiee fighting, I oh, God, I completely agree with you. And that was like my first, that was the first moment where I realized that it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, uh, was between, the, there were a couple of sequences where the art of the Wookiees fighting was really not well done but it was so many pages of wookies fighting like there was so much wookie fight like that would have been fine for i don't know maybe like a page and a half maybe a handful of panels like i could have i would have been fine with the wookie fight being in there just because we're doing like you know the evil versions of all of the good guys essentially which is kind of what the story was about so I would have been okay with a tiny little bit of Wookiee fighting, but if for some reason that whole sequence just carried out so far through like an issue and a half, that's way too much. Yeah. And I agree, like it didn't, it, it never didn't came to together in a way that felt epic and climactic and like I would have seen something at like the end of a TV series or a movie. Like it never had that cinematic ending it just kind of felt, and maybe that was maybe that was on purpose because it's not the ending of anything except for the True. event. True. But I feel like I don't know. I read a ton of EU. I was really, really into the EU when before it was Legacy or Legends or whatever it is now. Um, and I was looking at it as something in the EU because if you look at EU books, generally they were structured like a movie or a TV series, like they had a big climatic thing that happened at the end of them because that's the star Wars formula. But what was climactic that happened at the end of this? 
Nothing. So you're right. Exactly. So the the idea that, well, you shouldn't necessarily expect a climactic ending because it's not an ending. The series are continuing and this is kind of a slice of life in between the shows. But you still need something. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, it's literally you're left holding this book and going, what the hell? Seriously? That's it? And that to me is not stick in the landing so yeah no i i completely agree okay let's move on did you read the spider-man deadpool i tried to but my (laughs) shop was actually sold out of it so i'm waiting i'm either gonna get it on a second printing because the first printing has sold out or i'm just gonna pick have to pick it up online i generally don't like to pick up my comics digitally but i might be forced to are you a deadpool fan before i offend you I am not like a huge giant Deadpool fan, but I appreciate him as a character. Uh, for the most part, I do not appreciate him as a character, but he's one of those characters, as I've said in different episodes, wherein while I abhor his solo stuff, when you put him either in a team or as part of a duo, it can be really quite good. It can also fail horribly, in my opinion. Because as opposed to what some people will tell you, I feel there can be too much Deadpool. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you need to have a writer that understands how to write him properly. Not everybody does. Like Mayberry did a great job with him. So there's some people who can. And as much as I dislike the character, I was looking forward to this simply because as a duo group, normally it's Spider-Man who's that jackass and the comic relief as opposed to the, you know, Abbott to the Costello that you see otherwise. So now putting him and he has to be the straight man to Deadpool, I thought would be interesting. And sure enough, I actually enjoyed this. I, it, I certainly wouldn't say that it was amazing or spectacular or even a must read, but I was expecting to be, kind of disappointed and not really interested in reading any more of these. And my takeaway was actually, Hey, that was a fun read. I'm actually looking forward to reading issue number two. Who's writing it. Do you happen to know? Joe Kelly. Well, okay. Yeah. That kind of explains it. So Joe Kelly is my favorite Deadpool writer of Deadpool writers. Uh, He introduced so much good stuff into the Deadpool canon, as it were. I really, really like him as a writer, too. Um, I was excited for the series because there was an issue of Slot Spider-Man not that long ago that had Deadpool and Spidey teaming up. And they absolutely have a bromance. And I just... It was such a cute, fun issue that did a really good job of doing that thing where Spider-Man is the straight man instead of the comedian of the pair, which is, you're right, that is really, really interesting because it's so unusual. Um, you know things I, are going to get interesting when he has to be the responsible adult. That's <laughs> what right. it boils down to. <laughs> it is. It's super, it's it's really a cool concept and I'm glad they brought them together on a book. Uh, though I do agree with you, Deadpool is ridiculously overdone um that's why that's why i kind of hesitated when you asked if i was a fan of deadpool because it's like 
I wouldn't categorize myself as a fan because I roll my eyes generally when a new Deadpool title is announced, but I don't have a problem with the character. It's just he's the late, sorry. It's just he's the late 2000s Wolverine. I don't know about that. He's everywhere. Oh, he's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. If that's what I mean. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Yeah. No, I agree. There's way too much of him. And as a character, he can only go so far. Again, my opinion, tons of people really can't get enough of him. And it's like more power to you then. But the, the, unfortunately, the type of humor that's often associated with him by the writers is often one where I just roll my eyes and go, I can't read this crap. And so it's it's just I'm not the target audience. But again, when you put him in with the right team or with the right as part of the right duo kind of thing and you have a good writer, it can be really, really good. Like, again, the stuff with him and Punisher that Mayberry wrote was fantastic. I loved it. It was hysterical. And so and this is not that good, but I did enjoy it. So you will enjoy it when you get your hands on it. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, so that is actually going to wrap up this episode. Hannah, I cannot thank you enough for popping in and doing this. And again, on very, very short notice, why don't you tell us where we can find you? Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was super fun. It's really nice to be able to talk comics sometimes outside of the normal circle of people I talk comics with. Yes. Uh, which is, of course, All Comics Considered. You can find us on allcomicsconsidered.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at All Comics Cast. And you can find me on Twitter at Totally Rogue. And you can always email me at Hannah at allcomicsconsidered.com. And the other podcast? Oh, yeah. You can also find me on Dorkadia. And you can find us at dorkadia.com and also on all of the social medias. Awesome. Both very good podcasts. As Vince and I have been saying, like you're our favorite comics podcast right now. We love listening to you guys. So anyways, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Again, thank you for listening. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, at you can get the show notes at comicbookinformer.com. And on Twitter, we are at CB Informer. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.